Hello and welcome to the Psychedelic Christian Podcast, the conversation at the crossroads of faith and psychedelics. I'm Clint, your host, and I'm thankful and excited that you've chosen to join us. Enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 26 of the Psychedelic Christian Podcast. I'm going to keep my opening comments brief today. I believe the conversation speaks for itself. Just a message of gratitude for my listeners. Today, I wish to address everyone who has reached out to me over the last year or two. To all of you who have sent me your kind words, your offers of encouragement and friendship, those of you who have shared some of your most significant personal experiences with me, and those of you who have joined me in these conversations, to all of you, I am eternally grateful. And if at any point in our correspondence I have dropped the ball and failed to get back to you, please feel free to reach out to me again. I am not avoiding you. It is just that I am honestly incapable of staying in contact with the number of awesome people that I have connected with. It's an enormous blessing to connect with you all, but it's also beautifully overwhelming. Please continue to reach out via email, contact at thepsychedelicchristianpodcast.com, or connect with me on LinkedIn. I apologize that I have so little time and opportunity to interact with all of you more frequently. Also, to those of you who continue to share the podcast with others, you are the best. That is ultimately how this community grows, from all of you sharing these conversations with your friends, family, and fellow Christians. And to those of you who have contributed financially to the podcast by visiting thepsychedelicchristianpodcast.com slash support, thank you so much for helping me keep the bills paid and bringing these conversations to the world. It is my prayer that all of you live, abide, and hope in God's grace regardless of your current circumstances. Enough business. Let's meet today's guest. Today on the Psychedelic Christian Podcast, we are joined by Miguel Torres. Miguel enlisted with the United States Coast Guard in the year 2000, completed officer candidate school, and retired as a lieutenant commander in 2021. He specialized in contingency and operational planning, interagency planning and operations, and maritime search and rescue. Upon retirement, he launched the Conversation, Cannabis, and Christianity podcast, where he hosts guests to discuss the human condition, belief systems, cannabis, Jesus Christ, destiny, and more. He completed his undergrad in English and government from the University of Texas at Brownsville. Two decades of military and federal training and a master's degree in Christian apologetics from Liberty University. Miguel is a medicinal marijuana patient in the state of Florida, where he resides in Tampa Bay with his wife, Teresa, and their three sons. Miguel Torres, welcome to the Psychedelic Christian Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Clint. I really appreciate the invitation. Well, it's been a long time in the making. You know, I had the opportunity to uh, converse with you on your podcast, the the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. 
Right, exactly. Um, I was afraid I was going to mess it up. That's all right, man. Don't worry. <laughs> but, um, well, Miguel, you and I have talked before, so I know you got uh, an interesting story and interesting life. So why don't you just begin by telling us how all that started? It's my understanding that you've experienced kind of a wide spectrum of the Christian religion in, in your life. So in particular, you know, what kind of uh, family origin did you have in regard to faith and spirituality? Um, my parents were Catholic when I was born, so I don't really remember much of it. I I remember, I remember for some reason, I do remember the, uh, remember the pews and dark colored wood and uh, formal. Yeah, very formal. I remember that aspect of it. And around the age of four or five, I had a younger sister who was three years younger than me. My parents converted to Mormonism. And at that age, you don't know what's going on. You're just, you're, you're, you're with your family. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm -hmm. So again, another uh, religion that is uh, very formal. That is how I was introduced to religion on earth. I'll put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and what time frame were we talking here? Like late 70s, 80s? Uh... Late 70s. Yeah, I was born in 75. Okay. Yeah, so I was born in okay. 75. And uh, and see, so, yeah, we're talking late eight or late 70s. And at that time, my parents, they wanted their family. Actually, let me rewind that a little bit. My dad really didn't want to have kids when my parents got married and changed his mind. So... When, when someone changes their mind about that and they're sincere about it, you know, that, you know, it's because I think, and, and I, I'll say this for my dad, he really wanted a more of a comprehensive thing. He wanted, he was like, I have to take care of the whole thing. I have to take care of the whole being, right? I have to address the spiritual side of things too. And Very uh, intentional parent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, we're all, I think every parent is like that. I think it, we, it just depends on how far we take it. You know what I mean? It's like, do we just stop? wherever we stop and and think that there's nothing further or do we think do we because I, I think we all know there's something further we can feel it you know there's something that everybody senses he uh he wanted to have his family raised with some spirituality some form of it and he was a he was a migrant worker until he was around 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 age eight i think it was around age eight between five and eight is when he stopped and he wasn't when he stopped it was when his dad made the decision to move his family in a new direction so he took a job as a laborer for a railroad company in saginaw michigan and that changed that changed the trajectory of their life of his family tree you know it's like i wouldn't be i, I definitely wouldn't be sitting here right now if my grandfather hadn't made that decision so i'm third generation us on my dad's side and my mom's irish and english so when i i, I share all that because my dad definitely knew that his future was not supposed to be in the migrant industry in the migrant fields right and so uh when he made that decision when my grandfather made that decision my dad actually continued when when, when you know you're a parent too you know when generationally speaking it's like the next generation you want the next generation to be i'll use the word better but you know what i'm saying it's kind of like that doesn't right. even make sense right it's like you want Safer, them to healthier more responsible better all, equipped to face the world yeah all those things yeah. all yeah right all those things and and so when he made that decision he had to, you know he had to take a lot into account because i think he i think he i think he carried a lot of stuff that he couldn't carry alone 
and he bore more burden than he should have allowed himself to bear because of misteachings. So I'll get back to that later. So the uh, they converted to Mormonism. There's some, you know, the, the big missionary thing, right? You know, they, they get made fun mm -hmm. of. There's been a play made about it and everything. Some female missionaries came by, and and my my parents weren't interested. And then something prompted my dad, to, and it was raining too. So we went out back out in the rain and said, "Yeah, we're, we're interested." And and then they converted, and that was a uh, that was a different type of experience. You know, it was being young and growing up in it, and then. I don't even know where to begin with this here, Clint. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, like, let me ask some questions then. So that yeah, was go ahead, Mich man. Go ahead. So that was in Michigan, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. East Lansing, East Lansing, Michigan is where I grew up. Uh, Michigan State University, there's a, a large, I mean, it's a Big Ten university, so they have a, a big footprint. And they have, they have uh, even in mid-Michigan, you had a lot. It's, growing up there was great, actually. I'll just do the toast in there real quick because of the diversity that university right. brought in people from around the world and there are restaurants, there was cultures. And my dad ended up teaching at, at an elementary school in an area that was not an area. It was a, it was a housing development for international students and students that needed financial help at going to the university with families, people who had families from mm -hmm. around the world and, and uh, also citizens in the U S he ended up teaching there. And he was always fascinated by that stuff too. You know, like learning about different cultures and being cool with it. It was fun. Yeah. Sorry, man. That yeah, East Lansing, East Lansing, Michigan. So I guess, what I mean, obviously, I mean, you had that limited Catholic experience. It sounds like maybe just some really vague memories. So how did growing up in, the, in, in this new faith, I mean, obviously your parents were new to it. So they were, your family has a different vibe when the parents are discovering a new faith as opposed to parents who have been like deeply, uh, I don't mean this negatively, but like deeply yeah, no, entrenched and well-disciplined in a faith for a long period of time. So to some degree, like your parents are probably eagerly learning all this new stuff while you're just a kid. So like, how did that, how did that manifest? How did that feel? Was that awkward or was your experience in the Mormon faith? Was that positive? How did how did that affect your you and your family over the next say, you know, ten or fifteen years as you were growing into a young man? So the the Catholicism, I imagine that my grandparents were a little disappointed when my parents when my when their son left Catholicism, and uh, that's a Catholicism has a very big foot, big footprint in Latin America, in Central and South America specifically, but you know also here in North America too. A lot of uh, Latin nations have, you know, when when colonization came in, they, Catholicism mostly came in with it. So you never really get away from it. You know, my relatives, you know, mm -hmm. my grandparents had pictures of the Pope, Pope John Paul III, you know, stuff like that, you know. So you don't ever, you know, even though my parents had left the religion, whenever we visited family, that was mostly what we saw from most of them, you know, not all of them. Mm -hmm. And then going into Mormonism, you know, um, there I'm at, I still have I still communicate with people from that time, you know, when I was a kid, from five to eighteen, I still communicate with them, and uh, it's not it's anything against the people. It's 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 the the leadership in the decisions they make in the name of God that screws people up, mm -hmm. and to say that uh, the overall 
experience was positive or negative. It was it was both. It was negative because it. I remember being around ten or so. I'm sure it was eight or ten. But uh, Mormons baptize kids around eight, right? That, that's the tradition. You know, Catholics do it when you're a baby, and then Mormons hit you when you're eight. You know, it's kind of like, and you know, it's always a test. Are you ready? You know, it's it's a, are you have you done enough? And that problem, that question right there, even though it's not posed, have you done enough? The list of requirements is a list of have you done enough questions, mm -hmm. and that is the opposite of what the new covenant is so that was my frame of reference for grace and because that frame of reference was unattainable you know i can't do any i can't perform that perfectly i rebelled i was like yeah around the age eight or ten and there were some other things that were involved too like you know I'll tell the story right here around the age of eight or ten you know, you're learning, you go to Sunday school and, and Mormon Sunday school is, and Mormon services are long. At least they were back then. They were like three hours long, man. No joke. Mm -hmm. So that was like, and when you're a kid, three hours sucks. <laughs> Eternity. Yeah, man. It's like, okay, I'm going to find my church buddies and we're going to play. <clears throat> and then, okay, your bell rang and all this and everybody gets, just like you're at school, gets rushed into, but a little bit nicer. A little bit nicer than school, you know, a little bit same type of pressure, but still kind of like, okay. And, uh, you know, they're teaching kids from the Book of Mormon. It's not just the Bible. And that's what, you know, that's what a lot of people, that's where, I don't know, I think a lot of people who uh, seek and look into religions, that's where I think they'll find things really weird. And that's because the Book of Mormon is is a, it's a strange book and it's because it's made up. It's fiction. I know they the Mormons believe that Joseph Smith had a revelation from Moroni, the angel. And, you know, I know the story still, man, so I'll tell it. And he was in uh, Palmyra, New York, because I took a trip there one summer with my church, you know, church youth group, right? And uh, the story itself is, you know, it's made for, it's, I, I don't want to be disrespectful, so I don't want to say it like that. But um, the, the story itself is, it's incongruent with the New Testament. It's incongruent with the good news. Mm -hmm. But, it you know, having uh, come around in a time where a lot of denominations were just popping up, people were just, you know, religion was and a new bit. It was a business. You could find, people could freely do that. They could say whatever crap they want to say and, and try to get as many people to pay them as they could. And right. buy a piece that, of property and put up a tent and you've got a religion all right there. Ready right. To go. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and, and that one stuck, that one stuck, you know? So, um, around the age of eight or 10 being taught in Sunday school and, uh, you're taught it's, it's, it's in the book of Mormon, you know, God saw that these people were so evil, the Lamanites that he darkened their skin. Mm -hmm. And there's this, all this language about, You'll be white just like them. You'll be what you know, there's this, it's just all over that book. Hmm. And I asked my parents the question. I said, why would God see dark skin as a as as a punishment? Because I am a interracial child. My dad's my dad's Mexican and my mom's mm -hmm. Irish and English. And I'm growing up in mid-Michigan where there is a lot of diversity, but it's well known that that's what it is, right? It's not like right. uh it's not like your uh 
you know, like in New York City or, or Los Angeles, right? You know what I mean? Or even well, Detroit somewhat a little bit. Detroit at that time was still struggling. It still is struggling. But yeah, race is an issue in Michigan, right? You have Detroit there, the race riots. That city never recovered. It's the city, it's the state's largest city. It has not recovered. The state has race issues, right? So I say all that because I'm a brown kid in a mostly white, in mostly white uh, city in church. And I get taught that and I, and they didn't have an answer. That was a problem. They didn't have an answer. Their answer was, you're going to have to pray for them, pray about that. And that's when I know in my heart, that's when I was like, this is not for me. But when I said, this is not for me, I meant, I think the whole kick and boodle, that's what ended up happening, right? And I'm going to use that cliche, kit and caboodle. Yeah, I, I can't believe that came out of my mouth right now. <laughs> hey, man, that, that, that was a normal speech back in the 80s when we grew up. I, right, you know, and, and it's like, and that that was when I was like, yeah, this this is this is not for me. But at the same time, I met very sweet people that were full of love. And that's, and I remember those faces and I remember, I don't remember all their names, but I remember their faces and I remember that. And so when you say it's positive or negative, it was both. That's why I answered it was both. You know what I mean? It was both yeah. because there, I met some really loving people and I can understand and being where I am at in life now, I can understand that there are going to be sweet and loving people in some of the most legalistic denominations of any religion. Yeah. And I can totally resonate with that. And I think everyone else can, because religions are full of people and people are messy, you know, and I think whether we still find ourselves within a structured religion or whether we don't, I think, I think we can all, if we're honest, look back on our history and realize that there were, there were positive and negative experiences in that, you know, yeah. and <clears throat> even, the, even those of us who still really anchor to our faith, realized that in some ways there were people in our past that whether they were trying to or not, they were kind of manipulative, you know? And and that's where I see the leadership of that denomination and many denominations, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's the sad part about it. So uh, I could say it was both. And, and I can't say, and that's why I can't, they are just, it's just a misguided religion. I mean, the leader was a polygamist. <laughs> was assassinated for being a polygamist. That's kind of like a, that's a, it's a huge red flag. You know what I mean? When, when they were promoting polygamy and the reason why they're fleeing further and further West, as they say, they're, you know, they, every, there's this annual event that we do every year. You, the pioneer days where the, the settlers were well, not the settlers, but the, the Mormons went out West to Utah. It was kind of like a reenactment and all that kind of stuff. They were fleeing polygamy. <laughs> Yeah, they were fleeing laws that right. their ability to do that. Yeah, which and, eventually led them even down into Mexico. Once the right. you know the American government you know uh, moved west, and those laws became enacted in places like Utah and Colorado and places like that. So they had to find a new place. I'm, I'm not dogging on uh, Mormonism. No, I know that, I know some really good Mormon people, but that is too, the that, and that's, trajectory. That's yeah. yeah, go ahead. So early on, you were kind of, you felt a distance between that and you, so how did that shape up? Like, as you became a teenager and, and what kind of outlook did that give you? Did you think, I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, I was like, I can't wait to get out of this house. And I love my parents. My parents are great, but I just wanted to be 
on my own, making my own rules, you know, as quick as possible. Um, did you feel a need to kind of flee or? Of course, but I had no ability to do so. And I did not yeah. have the mature. I didn't have the maturity to make it either. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when it, when it came to, you know, when you're, when I was at that age, it's like, I'm much like my kids now, they got to do what I say, <laughs> but yeah. they fight about it the same way I fought about it with my parents. And that's, what's kind of funny about answering this question right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, it's easier to judge your parents until you become a parent. And then you're like, man, I'm just as bad as my dad. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I want. I don't want to digress on that, but I want to answer your question. So, so here the thing was is that my dad was actually trying to move up in the church. He was trying to progress in the church. So me rebelling was uh, it was it was uh, it was it was it was you know that separated us in our relationship for sure. And I'll just I'll add this real quick. He he's passed away in 2012. And they left the Mormon church and had met some other people and tried other, and they were going to a, uh, I can't remember where his denomination, might have been Baptist or something in a, in a Elon, North Carolina is where they were. So they, my parent, my, they were ended up in Elon, North Carolina. He had a progressive illness and he was, you know, he was in his last like months. Right. And, uh, the, he had helped a wrestling coach at a high school and he was a pastor and so they had these conversations too, right? These are all these kind of, they'd have conversations about all kinds of stuff, but religion and and Christ and and grace and the law were all part of it, but not so directly. So it wasn't until two weeks before my dad passed away that he actually accepted that Jesus's sacrifice was enough for him too. So I add that in because we're in this Mormonism and he's trying to improve. And these, this, these, these leadership rules, you know, if you're going to go to the temple, which there's nothing about it going into a temple in the new Testament, there's nothing about it. There was one temple in the old Testament and that's it. Apparently these Mormons and Mormonism, you know, there's, there's temples all over the world now. So in order to go to one of these temples, you have to be recommended. And when you get recommended, in order to be, get, in order to be recommended, there's a vetting process. And I mean a vetting process. And he was in the thick of it. So it wasn't good for our relationship, right? Especially when I'm when I become a teenager and uh I'm I wasn't using any marijuana or psychedelics as a teenager in high school. I was athletic. So that stuff was like, you know, it was it was something that I was like, no, it's not for me. But I didn't really make fun of it either though you know what i mean it's like there's a in, in high school high school it, it's it's funny it's it's funny how because i've been telling my kids it's like guys school is is not the world it, it, it's a, it's it's not so you guys got to remember when you leave school it's not like that everywhere else mm-hmm. okay so growing up there's like in the high school there was a uh you know there's a a hill and some woods by the by the school and all the smokers would go out there and smoke. You go up to the hill and smoke. It was like a, it was well known, right? It was just something, it was just well known. And when it was just part of growing up in East Lansing High School at that time. And uh, I, I never did it because I was just athletic. And, mm-hmm. but my, now I say I was athletic, but at the same time, a lot of apathy and a lot of, dis- now you said trajectory, right? So the trajectories of my outlook, 
for my future is going downward, right? It's going downward. And that's when I start drinking too. You know, it's when, you, when you're in high school, you start drinking, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's earlier for some people. So you start experimenting with beer and liquor and all that stuff. I tried a cigarette. My buddy's parents smoked. He got a pack of cigarettes. It, it, it didn't work for me. And plus, I was so paranoid about the smell of smoke. I was like, oh, they're going to smell my body. My friend was probably making fun of me, but, but so yeah, that was really it. And then, um, that, uh, yeah, I, did, I was not a good student. I wasn't academically inspired, even though my dad was a public educator and, you know, it was, it was a different family dynamic because he, like I said, he had been a migrant worker from until he was about between five and eight. And, uh, when that, when my grandfather took that step, there's a generational change, like, his my grandparents they didn't really know how to operate in that world mm -hmm. right they're they're still uneducated but they've come up a peg right and so now the kids they don't you know how do you raise the kids you know it's like how do you raise the kids to be successful in there when the parent isn't and then at the same time as i'm going through this now it's a different type of it's a different type of thing because it's gonna whether you wherever you come from wherever a person comes from there's always going to be the generation ahead that will be similar, but far different too, in terms of their outlets. Similar because they all need outlets. And we know what those outlets are going to be. Yeah, you know, I don't, I'm not going to claim to know. All, I'm just saying, you got energy. Where do you direct your energy? You know what I'm saying? So when uh, <clears throat> all those decisions that were made along the way, my dad, uh, yeah, he had a, uh, he had a thing for, earning his way into heaven and because that is really what mormonism does a lot of and a lot and i think catholicism does the same thing too i think anything that puts a list of to-dos on the person without after they say you're saved by grace and now here's what we have to do to maintain it it's a burden we're not meant to carry and uh when they change the way you believe about a thing it's going to change the way you think about it mm -hmm. and the words and actions coming out of that person are going to follow suit and uh, it was just an interesting time. So, so my parents, even though my dad was a public educator, he really, you know, working with me was not something that was high on his list of to-dos. And as a parent now, I can understand that because if he's teaching kids all day hmm. and then he's got to come home and, and I'm giving him a problem, right? And his students in class don't give him those problems the way I do. And I'm his own son. I can understand that frustration now. And it's different. I, I get it now. And that's... It's nice to understand, but it also makes me wish this world was different and this thing stuff didn't even have to happen, if you know what I mean. I completely understand that. So, um, and all that makes a lot of sense. So it's almost like your dad's religious ideals were kind of reinforced by that, that striving that a migrant family feels to work hard to achieve, to be accepted in the local society, that was also like reinforced by the religion that was all about striving, trying, making your way in it, you know, very much a, a me do it mentality, kind of like reinforced and compounded. Right. And then so I, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I understand how that you would have inherited, like that would have been expected of you. you. They would have been like, we've worked so hard. Now you have to keep working harder. You know, kind of the way we were talking about our children earlier. We right. want what's quote better for them. 
which means they need to be trying harder. They need to be making more money than we've ever made. They need to be more, you know, structurally religious than we are because we worked so hard to get you here. Now you have to carry the torch. And I think, like you said, that's just a, that's a burden that people aren't equipped to carry and internalize, especially children. You know, I always had high standards for my children, you know, but I tried not to make it onerous or overbearing. And I hope I haven't. Uh, I'm sure I've failed at that to some degree. Me too. Don't worry. I have to. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> and so that's I'm a funny sure thing. That's a funny thing about doing it ourselves. You know what I mean? Your dad like, was you... so, he was trying so hard and to be so intentional with his, you know, with his faith that sometimes we we lay that burden on our kids too so so once you became an adult and you had to make your own decisions like what, what how did that manifest so i don't know if the exact age that i came an adult it wasn't at 18 i know that <laughs> <laughs> i was not an adult maturity wise at 18 that's for sure but uh so that's I, when we're supposed to make those adult decisions. Right, right. That's when we can vote and do all that stuff. And that's cool. I'm not I'm not saying that we shouldn't be other other way. But uh so at 18, I was athletic. So I had I had a, you know, I had I was decent at wrestling, but didn't really do all that great. But I was gonna be able to wrestle at a small school in Nebraska. And it and at the last minute we decided not to do it. And I went to a community college in in Lansing, Lansing Community College. And uh my friends were uh going to they were around in the area over the summer. It was that summer between junior or between senior year and freshman year of high school or freshman year of college, rather, that my friend, a few of my friends, actually all four of them, four, yeah, all four of them. I had, a, you know, you kind of have pockets of friends, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you have, and then this is what I'm trying to, it's like, it, that's what I was trying to, you know, I don't want to go into my kids. I don't want to keep talking about my, my parenting right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you know you got pockets of kids it's like i had i had kids friends that were this group and friends were that group and and the friends that i was hanging out with the most were smoking weed and they're like try this and i was still athletic and working out and it didn't do anything for me but i felt a relaxation from my soreness mm -hmm. like the muscle soreness i was like oh i'm not sore i feel feel pretty good and then the next time that junk hit me in the head like right in the eye, <laughs> in that in the middle eye. <laughs> Man, I don't want to digress, but isn't that really common for people? Like, I know I experienced that. You know, the first time I tried cannabis, I was like, I was like, "Man, what are people making not such a big deal about this? Like, it's almost nothing." It was like smoking a cigarette. But then that second time, it's almost like your body recognizes the signature, and it's like, "Oh, I know where to put this." <laughs> and in it, your brain. <laughs> <laughs> so. At that time, I was like, whoa. <laughs> and I liked it. I liked it. I liked it. And uh, and at that time, you know, I didn't know what I was doing in my life. Like I said, I was supposed to go do something. And I and, and I knew I was going to have to cut weight and all that crap. And I didn't like doing that. So I was like, did I really want to do that to begin with? No, I didn't. I didn't know what I wanted to do. It's 1993. Apathy is running rampant everywhere. The 1960s are being retreaded. The idea, and I don't mean retreaded, I mean put, put into the ears and eyes of people. Just the same way the 1990s are being retreaded now, 30 years later, in the in the 30 years from now, it'll be the same thing from this decade and the 90s. Because you still see touches of the 60s here and now. You're still hearing about the Beatles, still hearing about, you're still hearing about these people because the generation's still here. 
But there is something different about the 60s, 90s, and the 2020s. There's something different about them. I'm not going to go into all that. But um, so at that time, I'm going, you know, it's in the 1990s. And uh, I'm still, I'm at home, Lansing Community College. I'm starting to use marijuana. And I actually feel like studying. I actually am inspired to learn now. And that's what was different. And at the same time, my parents were seeing me put Cypress Hill Black Sunday posters up on my wall. <laughs> they're seeing me put all this stuff up on my wall and they're listening to the music that I'm listening to. He can hear the music I'm listening to, mm -hmm. but I'm getting better grades. And that was a weird thing for me to go through, but also I'm sure for them to go through as observing oh, yeah. as sure. parents, right? And uh, <clears throat> I, so I did LCC for a year and uh, transferred to my dad's alma mater, Central Michigan University. And this is, you, you, it's very much like what you said. It's kind of like, parents, we do this thing. And, and he was very much in this boom, 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 boom. But at the same time, he really didn't know what to do either because he didn't, his parents weren't, they didn't come from that type of a, uh, what do you want to call it? What, what can you say, economic class or socioeconomic mm -hmm. class? However you want to frame it, whatever demograph, demographic that it could be put on. His parents went from the migrant field to a job that was still a labor job outside of that industry. And he actually, my grandfather did, he got a pension. So when he retired, he, he had a pension and they did some things with their money that they were okay. But uh, it's, it's, I say that all because as my, I, as I'm thinking about it now, raising kids too, it's like, wow, my dad was the first generation to step out of that and yeah a lot of unknowns and a lot of yeah. a lot of fears and concerns and and, I and no no we, one to tell no one to tell him oh this is the way it was when you were a kid it'll be fine blah 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 you know he was kind of charting a new path in a way and exactly I, I completely and he's relying on what he knows about god to do it or else he would not have wanted his family to get involved with religion mm -hmm. so his idea of grace was incorrect, right? I mean, and that's the thing. I think if, if we all had a, a, a clear understanding of what grace truly is, it would do more than compel us. It would inspire us from the inside out. Right, to live and more in grace with our fellow human, especially and, our children, for goodness sakes, you know? Right, right. And then, uh, but then there's the pressures of the world and the requirements of the world. And things you got to do to get a job and things you got to do to go to the temple and Mormonism, you know, things you got to do to get here. And my dad did, he was ambitious. He, you know, for, he ended up running for a, a state representative position. He didn't win the, he didn't win the election, but he ended up, he, he did a lot. And that's the thing that his doing did produce a lot. And he did help a lot of people. Like he was in education. He got involved in more than education. He did do a lot, but on the inside, it was killing him literally. And that's, you know, and it forced him to retire early. And, and it, it that was a bitter pill that never recovered, right? And mm -hmm. to the point where two weeks before he died, he still hadn't accepted that he can't earn his way into heaven. He's still thinking that he can count on all of his good deeds and that they're enough. And his pastor, coat wrestling friend, is saying hey 
That's not what grace is. And that is the underlying issue for, I would say, every single human being, because we're all made with God's image on our face. And we all have a fingerprint that no one else has because it's personal. It's deeply personal. And to misunderstand grace because somebody's misteaching it, to literally enslave someone for financial and for the Mormonisms, for the Mormonism, when it started, it was sexual. I mean, the guy was a polygamist. And you don't just have one polygamist. You got a whole community of polygamists. Financial and sexual gain for the polygamists, right? It's strange. And that's where I'm like, wow. As I think about it, I can understand how, because I went through it too. You know, you, you think that you, we tend, human beings want to think in a legalistic frame because we can we think we can do something about it and i'm talking about salvation right i'm not just talking about work i'm talking about salvation and, and our man's human beings relationship with with jesus our maker and uh that's where sometimes when you see denominations doing that it can make you really angry mm -hmm. but at the same time that anger is not supposed to be for us to vent and that's what's that's what's uh that's what's funny about t telling this story is that I'm not trying to sound angry. These are just the facts of the way I grew up. Right. I color yeah, them the I way it. I I color them the way I do. If more people understood how much we're loved in the midst of this fallen world, it is a beautiful world. There's beauty everywhere. You can see it in people's eyes. You can see it in our own eyes. We can see it. There's beauty and greatness all around. But it is fallen and it's falling away. And to understand that framework for that starting point and know that the one who made us says, I love you. You don't have to fall away. Everything that I have is yours. And you can't do anything to make me believe you that you've earned it because the human heart and the human mind are fallen too. It's impossible. But what you can do is trust me by believing me. It's hard to accept that grace, you know, because everything else in our life comes through striving and and aiming for it and fighting for it. And so we just take that mentality and apply it to our faith journey. And we've like, we got to strive, we got to earn it, which we all should be intentional and, and we should all be, you know, motivated to lean in and learn more about our walk with God and our spirituality, but, but where does that motivation come from? Does it come from love or does it come from a, and does it come from an acceptance of grace or does it come from a desire to hopefully somehow be good enough for God, which I think is, is unfortunately what motivates a lot of us. And, and it's really hard to reframe all of that. But before we, Go oh, hold far. on, man. There, there, hold on. There's so there something that when you said uh, on our faith journey, we apply it to our faith journey. There, I think there's a starting point before that even. We apply it to our relationship with Jesus, our maker. We apply that same concept, what you're saying, not just to our journey, but to our relationship with the one who says he, who says he loves us and has rescued us with his love. We apply that sense of 
I have to earn this. I have to, you gave this to me. Now I have to pay it back because I don't want to have a feeling of debt on me. That is very much human too. And that's where too many leaders of denominations of all kinds of religions get their hooks in. They understand that and they abuse it. And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is being robbed by violent and murderous people. That's what he's talking about, in my opinion. Some things haven't changed, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> so what did you study in, in college? English and uh, government. What were your intentions? Were you, uh, did, did you have a pursuit you were after? Or? I was going to be a teacher like my dad. Mm -hmm. That's what my initial plan was. So uh, I went to... But the, <laughs> okay, I'll tell you this because this is this is this is the psychedelic Christian podcast. So, so uh, go to I go to LCC Lance Community College for a year, and I transferred to my dad's alma mater, Central Michigan. And my grades aren't so hot, and uh, I got to take a year off because I partied too much. <laughs> See what I'm saying? So, like the apathy, I mean, the inspiration that I had from using the marijuana was was it was temporary for me at that time because the underlying heart issues were a mess right i didn't, didn't really have a sense of identity didn't have a sense of who i was what my future is going to be my when i thought about my future at that time it was hoping it could be mediocre at best i could see all the people around me see all of my friends that came from families with more money, families with less money. You can see opportunities that people have and don't have. And I'm looking at my opportunities and what I did with my education. And I'm going, yeah, my athletic career is done because I'm not going to go the rest of that college. What am I going to do with my life? And so I uh, took a year off. And around that time was when my dad actually had to retire early from teaching because of his illness. It affected his lungs and his blood flow, and he had ended up having fingers amputated because we, growing up in Michigan, we're in Michigan. We had a, uh, a fireplace and a wood stove, and it was really, it was, it was cool. It was, I mean, it was, it was really cool growing up with that stuff. So we chopped a lot of wood. You know, we'd have cores of wood delivered. He, me, and my dad would chop wood, and he got frostbite on his fingers. And when this illness kicked in, the uh, fingers, the tips became gangrenous, and they had him amputated. So he, and then also he had what's called scleroderma, which College, it, the body produces too much collagen and it hardens the body from the inside out. It's like turning the body to stone from the inside out. So, yeah, so it affected his lungs. So um, growing up, we had visited Texas. My parents, my dad had family, extended family down in South Texas and with South Padre Island was a place where we would go and vacation and so visit San Antonio. And, yeah, so it was a, I don't know if it was, a, I don't know what they were thinking. But they're like, yeah, our son's partying too much in Central Michigan. Maybe we should go buy, go buy, go build a house in South Padre and retire 20, 30 minutes from the Mexican border. And he can go to that school right there. That's actually what ended up happening. That's what I ended up doing. I went to the University of Texas Brownsville. It's now called University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. But uh, at the time, it was University of Texas Brownsville. And uh, I'm partying, man. I'm partying a lot. But I'm still going to school. I'm... You know, I'm not doing so hot in a, a class here or there, but I'm actually doing better than I was. Mm -hmm. So uh, I hit a point in my life where it's like I'm looking at the spring break industry and in the, in the service industry at a at a vacation place, right? And um, you can see people get get stuck there. 
You know, people get stuck there and you can see that it's not where they want to be. It's on their faces and you can hear it in their voices and the topics they talk about and have conversations with. And um, I realized at that point that if I did not change my life, and I mean change my life into an upward trajectory, right? Because that's the choice, up or down, right? It always is up or down. It's never left or right. Left or right, no. That It's up or down. Do I want my trajectory to go up or do I want to go down? And I, I knew that if I didn't make a change right then that I would have a lot of regret later on in life. And that brought me back to that place where I saw my future when I was in growing up, right? Growing up in high school and growing up in first two years in Michigan and college there. It's like, yeah, my, my future is mediocre at best. And now here I am, I'm like, okay, I'm about to finish a degree. I need to freaking finish this thing now. I need to actually finish. And I ended up doing just that. And the funny thing is, this is this is the mark of the 90s too, right? So my parents had a house built in South Providence, a nice house. And, you know, I had a bedroom and a little living space to live in. And I got a TV and I'm by myself a lot. You know, I'm just by myself a lot right now. And um, I'm watching The Sopranos, man. I'm watching The Sopranos because the bad guy ends up being the good guy. We ended up cheering for Tony Soprano because he's just the misunderstood guy who chose to go down the dark path and you still cheer him on because he's still got a good heart right but even though he's doing all this malicious stuff you're just kind of like oh why are we still cheering for him but that's what i was feeding on right so my sense of my sense of what was being fed on was still screwed up right and that stuff it's all over in it's been it's it's all over multiplied by you know you can go you put on the tv there's apps for all kinds of stuff when you put on those apps more of the same stuff but sopranos is one of those because it hit it hit it hit american culture pretty pretty significantly right mm -hmm. you really didn't have any uh, american italian gangster movies on, since uh the ones that martin scorsese had released yeah, right? like you know since the, the godfather and all that stuff yeah well, well, you also maybe. had you had uh casino and goodfellas right. those are those, those two mm -hmm. and then goodfellas, you know, some, yeah. and the some others that he did but at that time, Sopranos was like, whoa. And it was well-written. I mean, they, they had a they had really good writers writing those stories. Mm -hmm. They did. And, and But eventually, they all default to sex and violence. Mm -hmm. They all default to that to keep viewers on. But uh, I'm sitting in this room. I'm just watching, like, all summer long, just sitting. And I'm, I'm training. I'm exercising. And then I'm like, okay. I, I bring that up because... It's funny the things that we feed on to when we think they're going to improve us. Mm -hmm. And I bring and I say that because I got kids and I was like, yeah, you know, you know, I want them to go work out. And, and the place that they're at now is good. But, it, you know, as they're as we're growing up and, you know, I'm trying to try them out in different sports and stuff like that. And it's kind of, yeah, it's like the music matters. It's like, yeah, I, I, yeah, we play good stuff. And I was like, OK, so let's hear it. And it's kind of like, you know, when you listen to Guns N' Roses welcome to the jungle and it's like i don't want my kids thinking that that's what they need to hear mm -hmm. to be motivated to do something you know what i mean it's kind of like no that's not that there's a spirit behind that you know what i mean there's a spirit behind that that is i don't think that's of god you know it's kind of like right. yeah you can say this world is a jungle no doubt about it but to promote it and say i want to thrive in it and be just as nasty as everybody else that's that's the switch that's the, right. that's what's that's what's been transposed 
And that's why I brought up Sopranos, because it was funny that I was feeding myself on that. And I'm also taking philosophy classes and all that other kind of stuff, too. You know, I'm getting these classes and I'm, I'm finishing my degree. And it is in English and government. So I'm reading a lot of literature, too. And I'm also understanding, you know, things that I want. I, I chose those. Two. I should have started off with this, actually. I chose those, two because I'm like, I remember distinctly thinking I'm an American citizen. I need to know the language. Because I, I didn't, I grew up with English, but my point was I was a bad student, right? Mm -hmm. So there was a, a couple English teachers, both in uh, one in high school and one in college, and two in high school, excuse me, one in college, that forced me to do it right. They they didn't give me a pass. They forced me to do it right. They knew, you know, what I'm saying there's it's a strange mm -hmm. thing when my dad was a, a good teacher, he's a popular teacher, and when they they see his son come in and his son struggling, they're like. Oh, what do we do with this? I'm, I imagine that thought went through their head, right? Mm -hmm. Their son's struggling academically. What do we do with this? You know, they probably felt a little more level of responsibility to help you than just the average student because they recognized you probably kind of the way they thought of their own children. You know, well, I, you know, I don't know if it's that way or not. I, you know, for those, you know what? That's not the way I was thinking about it. But I didn't. That's actually not the way I was thinking about it. That, but I think you could probably be right about that, man. I brought that up because. The other, and so my dad wasn't popular with other teachers too. You know, it's a, it's a funny thing being in a organization like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, I was other teachers, you know, it's just kind of like, I was still passing grades, you know, I'm still passing grades. I'm still passing grades. These are the teachers that actually made me earn it. That's what I'm trying to say. These are the teachers that actually made me earn it. And, and the reason why they made me earn it could very well have something to do with what you just said. I didn't really think about that aspect. I just think about, I, I think of, when I think of them, I think I'm I'm thankful. I have a lot of gratitude because this uh, this a question that I ask people in my podcast is, when did you know that you were going to point your life in this direction, or when did you know you you had a gift in this area that at some point in your life it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna bear fruit for you. It's gonna make a right. way for you, right? And that was writing for me. I, I wanted to be a writer. And that was after I matured out of being wanting to be a rock and roll star, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it was a writer. And uh, those, those uh, Johnny Island, she's a female, Mrs. Johnny Island and Patty Hoppy were the two teachers that really forced me to earn it and do it right. And, you know, it's pretty cool thinking back about it now because, you know, you have kids now. You're just kind of like, whoa, my kids are having these moments, too. I hope they're having they got to be having these moments because, you know, God gives it to us. He gives them to us. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like and that's where it's like, oh, that's pretty cool. So uh, I forgot the question, man, but I had to tell that story because no, it was that's, a, that's uh, it, great. you know. Well, so you got you got your your. For, I guess, like a bachelor's degree in English. Yeah. In government, yeah. Oh, I know eventually you ended up having a military career, but how did, how did, so when you got, did you start teaching at some point before that or? Nope. Um, I graduated high school and found myself in the same spot as I was, found myself in the same familiar space that I felt I was in when I graduated high school. Mm -hmm. You've achieved this thing now. Now what? <laughs> yeah. Now what? And uh, and this is where this is where I think the uh, generational catch up that my dad and my grandfather did was uh, something that my dad was figuring out as he was living it, 
You know what I mean? And um, he would help a lot of students and he tried to give the same kind of help that he gave the students to me in the same way. But I didn't receive it the same way because I wasn't one of his students. I was his son. And, and that was just kind of interesting. Um, man, I forgot the question. Did you got you? Did you, you know, this telling just telling this story is period is taking me back in a lot of memories. So if okay. I if I sound like I'm getting spacey every now and then, that's why. Because I'm like, oh, I haven't thought about that in a while. And then you're interjecting these things where I'm like, wow. I bet you they were thinking that, you know what I mean? I'm kind of like, it oh, just, so it opens like a series of doors, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's why <laughs> I like I'm... these, con these conversations is good. And, and, you know, I'm not on any type of psychedelic right now. I did smoke some <laughs> marijuana. I, I, I use marijuana every day. I use marijuana, edible, <laughs> edible tea, eat, drink, smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've been, I've been I've, like you, I'm usually on this end of it. And so it's kind of harder being on the other end because <laughs> you like you've got a whole life and stories to share and you're like which ones like <laughs> make sense of what what I who I am and why I'm here and all that you know so throughout that time in college you were in enjoying cannabis or or were you in a kind of a, a limbo where you're back and forth you know because I know a, like I used a lot of cannabis in high school but then when I came to that that epiphany that you did like I've got to buckle down and do something with my life. I compartmentalized my cannabis use and just shelved it. Cause I was like, obviously the world doesn't appreciate this. You know, none of the jobs I'm trying to get will allow me to use that. So I've just got to put it away and put on my big boy pants and go, you know, be an adult is kind of the way I framed it, I guess. And so I just kind of, I never had negative uh, thoughts or experiences regarding cannabis. I just had, I, I felt like I had to put this out of my life so I could actually build a life. And, you know, it's interesting. Well, I started to talk about how things have changed, but I think that just I, takes us down a tangent. So no, man, I, we'll get, I, I, we'll get I, I, to that I, towards I, the end because that's I, I, kind of, what gives you and I the ability to speak freely on these things now is the fact that things have changed so much. So I guess yeah. what I'm asking is what was your relationship like with, with cannabis or other psychedelics during that time of college and then transitioning into actually a career? I got you. And, and, and you, you asked it, man. And, and I'm going to, and sometimes I, I do the same thing too. That's what's funny about you're right. Being on this end of it is funny, but uh, so I, I did shelve it. I, when I made that decision, I shelved, everything except for alcohol that was the only thing i didn't shelf and i was still and i was i would continue to train and work out i continued to do i can i was at that point in my time in my college career i was like i need to re i need to regain because my trajectory was so down for so long about what i was believing about myself in the future that was like this is not where i want to go so when that when I made that decision, it's like, okay, now I need to walk it out. And this is where it's kind of like, I need to walk this out. I need to do this. I need to do this because I know they're good for me. And this is what's kind of funny about knowing and believing and doing is they all do get mixed in. It's better when they start from the heart first. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so, yeah, so I shelved all of it and jammed on my degree and got it done in a shorter amount of time than I should have. And because uh, I was already behind, <laughs> but I recognize that I don't want to stay on that same pace. Right. So, mm -hmm. so from there, 
I was looking at uh, I was looking at militaries. I looked at the Marine Corps, and I was talking with Marine Corps recruiters, and they were, huh, you know what? <clears throat> I was going to go back to something, but I I don't want to because it'll dislodge the the flow of it right now. Um, so they growing up, eighties, you know, born in seventy five, eighties. Entertainment is not like it is now. It was a bit more showcased. Because you couldn't just get all this stuff at home. When a new movie came out, it was a big deal because you could only go to a movie theater to see it. That was the only place you could go to. See. You couldn't sit at your home and rent it, none of that stuff. So it had a bigger impression on society because it was, we've got this big story, all the advertising leading up to it, and you only get it at a movie theater. So Macho movies, man. Think about all the action stars that are still holding mm -hmm. on to that crap today. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't want to... You can go over all the names, right? They're still holding on to that crap and they're falling apart. They're literally falling apart. And, you know, they may look good. You can look out, put these videos and doing all... The, I, their lives are falling apart. And I'm not putting them down. I'm just saying it's a funny thing, this world. This world is a funny thing. So having grown up with that stuff... The military was a fascination that I'd always had. I didn't want to be a police officer, but the military was something that I had a fascination with. So I researched that stuff in the Marine Corps. Something about you know in the Marine Corps movies, you know, they're just they're very stoic. They're they're like boom, they're on target. They're they're dialed in, you know, because that's the way they advertise them, and and that is uh, they do a good job of that. They 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 do a good job of taking the dignity out of you. Mm -hmm and making you believe that you are just there to do that and that only and all these other men and women are here doing it with you and they're your brothers and sisters they're very good at doing that the military is good at doing it period the marine corps is even better i'd say they're probably the best at it in all the branches and, uh, and that really appeals to apathy. the spirit of a that young man though too because you're like, wow, I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to, it's going to make me physically strong. I'm going to be like a living weapon. You know, I'm going to be. Right, right. I'm going to be dangerous. I'm going to be not going to be someone that's weak. And that is, that's, that's, I think that's, I think every human being goes through that, especially more so now in this 21st century than at that time in the eighties. Um, <clears throat> but uh so I looked at, I was talking with them and, and they were very convincing and they, they were not high pressure. They were, the army was high pressure. Army was high, you know, they're like hard sales, you know, they're pestering you all the time. And that turned me off. I was like, yeah, that sounds cool to do, but no, I don't want to do that. And then, um, I realized that I did not want to train to kill like that. So I didn't do it. I didn't do it at that time. I, looked at the air force applied for an officer program to be a navigator there didn't make it but eventually was offered a master's degree at the university of michigan by the air force but i had already enlisted with the u.s coast guard so i couldn't do it so that was, <laughs> that was kind of that was that was nice to know but uh when i got that piece of news you know it's kind of like oh okay good that's cool too but can you get me out of here because i'm only an e3 <laughs> <laughs> So I chose the Coast Guard because it's a primarily humanitarian service, and I like the water. The, and 
and I like the water a lot. I always like being by the beaches and I live in Florida now intentionally <laughs> because Michigan is just too cold. And, and I was living in mid Michigan and that even in the summertime, that Lake Michigan's cold. So, uh, I humanitarian service and that edge that you're talking about, like that, that, that you want to call it testosterone edge, whatever you want to call it. If it comes in a man, I was like, okay, they have a rescue swimmer. I'll go for that. You know what I mean? It's like, instead mm -hmm. of trying to, so it's like, huh, it's pretty cool. You know, I mean, I, I, I do think the Coast Guard's a really good organization. I think it is a really good organization. It's, it's a cool thing to see him, a nation. It's a cool thing to see nations build services around humanitarian needs. And that's, you know, when I look at like AmeriCorps, I don't know all the details of it. So I'm not speaking to like, oh, we're, I don't know if there's got any money scandals because it's all taxpayer money, whatever. But the concept of it, it's like, yeah, let's build homes for people who need in the nation. And right. we'll go and do, we'll do uh, Peace Corps and do that. Those things are, those concepts are cool. I think those are really loving concepts when people in leadership of nations implement them with sincerity and the best chance of succeed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the Coast Guard, it was a cool, it was a cool thing. It was, uh, I did it. Yeah. So uh, I, I enlisted. I had a degree already. I could have applied for officer candidate school, but I chose to enlist. I just did it. I, I was, you know, I was at that point in my life, I was like, I didn't want to teach. There was nothing else that was, there was nothing else that was popping. There was nothing else that was popping. Like, yeah, this is what you're meant to do. When I did yeah. that, when I did that, I was nervous about signing my name on the paper because I was obligating myself for four years. And I had never done anything like that in my life, right? Yeah, yeah okay, I'm going to play soccer, but I'm not, I don't think of it as I'm obligating myself to play soccer until I finish high school and then I don't want to play anymore because I'm not good enough. <laughs> right. There's you know not a mean? contract that says you'll go to right. jail if you quit playing soccer. <laughs> right. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just like, man, okay. So, I'll sign that. And I was like, wow, okay. And um, that was the only thing that was really popping. I mean, I said, like I said, just, just the, and the only thing that made me nervous was, whoa, the next four years of my life, I don't know if I can, I don't know if, I don't know what might happen. Maybe I'll get something better will come along if I don't sign. But that's what everybody goes through when they sign that letter to volunteer. It's like, yeah, you're obligating yourself. You're literally licensing your, your life to the U.S. government. They're going to use you. And then when they're done with you, there's going to be some benefits if you qualify for them. And if not, then they got another program now to help people out with that. They've changed the pension plan. They put in an annuity. So now somebody who does two or four years will walk away with the partially funded government annuity with, and it's, it's, they've changed, they've changed the structure of it drastically. And I think some of it's good, but um, that was primarily it. Yeah. So what was life like uh, in the Coast Guard? It was, oh man, I don't want to do all that right now. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's fine. We can just say that was that was a career you had. Yeah, that because then I'll then then uh, I'll go rambling because then okay. then I don't I, I won't know where to stop there, Clint. I won't know where to stop, man. And that's and fine. I don't, well, how about the, how about this? How about um, throughout that time, college, your time in the Coast Guard? What frame of reference did you have? as far as religion and spirituality were you still did you still kind of think of yourself as a mormon even though you were kind of separated from that 
you know, psychologically or faith, you know, in a faith way, you didn't really, it didn't completely resonate with you, but did you still kind of anchor to that as like where, where you found your uh, kind of faith experience or, or did something new come along? At that time, I wasn't believing in anything other than something of a higher power, but it was distant. Mm -hmm. It was, it was not personal and it was, I know this thing exists. But then when I stopped thinking about it, when I stopped acknowledging it, all the strife of the day would just, you know, flood in, right? And it's kind of like, ah. Uh, and that's that point in life and where you're kind of trying to make decisions, right? It's like big, th when people come into making big life decisions, it's like, yeah, I know that light's up there. And then there's all this tail that comes with it and how we look at that tail matters, right? So, um <clears throat> uh what was the question again man i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> so like well i mean you answered it you you kind of like throughout that time in college and the coast guard oh yeah that's right that's your right. faith was just kind of a nebulous like you you know it there was. was a god there was a creator there was something out there that kind of infused life but it wasn't a personal relationship with the creator right well, how did you find I, your way back to that um so you know, I had studied, like I said, I, I studied uh, English and literature. You're reading a lot of people and they're reading a lot of what they think and what they've studied and what they've researched and how they're presenting it. And I've always been fascinated by that stuff. Like I said, I mean, philosophy didn't do it for me either. Philosophy was another set of rules, another set of, here's the rules that you have to work within. And those rules seemed to be not as lofty as the rules that the religion laid down. They seem to be a little bit closer to the surface. They seem to be trying to get at something deeper, but not able to. There, and when I, as I understand, there is no true definition for philosophy. It just dissects other things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's a, uh, so I tend to think of it as a pursuit of understanding, right? It can or help at least with an, that. an effort, an effort to understand. Uh, but like you said, it's 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 a it's a from the top, it's from the surface right. in yeah. instead of and, and I can respect that. I mean, because we need to study the aspects of life and faith from both within and without, you know. And I'm not I'm not putting down I got I, I'm not putting the the, the the discipline down at all. Mm -hmm. I was just saying that that was when I was doing that, that in college, I got I got good stuff out of it. You know, I mean, you, you can't help but learn, read that stuff and learn something from it. Right. It's like, yeah, you got. But then you have to say, is it for me? Mm -hmm. Like, is this the way I'm going to live my life? Right. Like, how, do I believe this enough where I'm like, OK, I want to live like this. And then how do you know you're actually doing it? the way the philosopher prescribed, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have all these other ancillary rules that come in, right? And this is where I see a lot of this in Hinduism and Buddhism. It's a very much judgment upon moment to moment. And then there's, because there's all these fluctuations within the moment, well, they need to be explained. And this is where all the other rules come in. And there's all it presents itself and then expressed in your karma. And I'm not, I'm, that's maybe a crude, I know it's a crude, but I'm saying that type of intensity, that type of 
magnification and granularity on the human being. That's why the old covenant can never work for a human being because we can't meet that type of scrutiny. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, we can't meet that scrutiny. It's impossible because it starts in the heart. And if our heart's fallen, well, then <laughs> we can't make ourselves risen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm believing something. I'm, I'm believing, I'm believing at that point in time, I'm believing more for my future because I'm actually taking steps that are going to make it that are, that, that are alignment with the trajectory that I want. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I'm, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm starting to get into something and, and uh, I had no idea or saw no need for what Jesus was. I could see that there was this God, but I was like, I don't know why Jesus, why do I need Jesus? That's how screwed up my understanding of grace was, right? Do you see what I'm saying? It's kind of like mm -hmm. born and raised in a denomination and the person who's supposed to represent love and understanding is the furthest thing from me applying to that concept, right? He's the furthest one. I, like, I wouldn't apply that to him at all. He's one that says you need, he's like Santa Claus, literally. If you don't do good, you don't get good. If you do bad, you get bad. And that was something that um, later on in life, this is going to, I don't care if it sounds corny or not. It was a Joel Osteen message. It was a Joel Osteen message I was watching on TV because it was, uh, I'm starting to change the way I'm thinking about, I'm married at this point. And I'm jumping ahead real far. We'll get back to some other things too. I'm going to answer your major question. I know I'm going to answer it for you, man. Don't worry. No. <clears throat> okay. So, so later on, it's like, uh, my wife and I are married and, and, um, we're not going to church, but I, she had an, I, she, she and I had a connection that was, that is, that was, that is, that started, it was. You know, she liked to talk about this stuff. And it wasn't all we talked about, but it was a lot of what we talked about. And that's, this stuff is, is, you know, I value it. So mm -hmm. we both paid attention to it. And she's, she's been, uh, she has been a believer in Jesus. She's, I shouldn't say, no, she's been a believer. She's, she's come to understand his love for her at a very young age. And it hasn't gone away. So I'm the one who, in our relationship, I was the one who wasn't believing, right? But she, that didn't stop her from marrying me or anything like that. We had these conversations before we got married. And, uh, but I still saw no reason for Jesus. You know what I mean? When I heard the name, it was like a, I wouldn't say a brick wall, but it was almost like a, a veil something would like kind of just be like yeah no that's not he's not there's nothing there for for you over there with him and there's nothing for you in jesus you already know what he's like he's gonna be counting all those moments and you can't meet up you can't meet standard so you've already said why bother in the past what's changed now you can keep saying that and that's the trap that many people fall into when it comes to changing our minds, because that's what metanoia is, is change your mind about God so you can turn and be healed. So I'm watching this Joel Osteen message, and, and uh, it's like our Sunday service, right? Nine o'clock that morning on Sunday, we'd watch it. 
<clears throat> and I always remember like wanting more, but it, it at the same time, even his messages didn't get all the way to where I needed to be receive a message, right? And it wasn't, it didn't reach where I needed to receive it, but it certainly did. And this is the message I remember. He's like, sometimes religion can put people down and make you feel less than. He's like, that is not what God is about. And because he, he, uh, you know, one thing, I think I, I like I like Joel a lot, and I'm not criticizing him at all, at all. So he uses God. I think when he uses God, I, I hear God and Jesus is interchangeable. I know some people like you talk about God a lot, not a lot about Jesus. And I know when I say Joel Osteen, there's a lot of different perceptions and that people are going to come into their head. But when he said that, it was like, that was exactly what I was going through. Mm -hmm. I was still carrying all that crap from Mormonism. Right. Like like it was still like it was still who I was, but it wasn't. But I was still thinking and believing like it was. And then when he said that, it was the beginning of something that would definitely come to have a revelation of Christ four years later. You know, that that's beautiful. That actually gives me hope, you know, because because maybe people like Joel Osteen, we we wish they would offer a little more direction, a little more Christ-centered information. But for a person like yourself, like maybe that's the message you needed to hear to like put cracks in that religious edifice that that to you is just like this big wall that you would never be able to get through or understand. But maybe just like Again, maybe he's on the other end of that spectrum, but hearing that message maybe gave you the ability to see another side of religion that you had yet been exposed to. Yeah. Just offer that and, for a thought. You know, that's no, a thought. That's a good thought you had because you used the word. It was like these, it, it was like a crack because that is actually the illustration that was in my mind. It was literally like a slab of concrete that I could not measure was like almost like CGI curtain. You know, like you see a big yeah. crack go. It was literally like that. And it was like, oh, it was a relief. It was a relief. And but it wasn't like the grand relief. Right. It was just a, oh, I don't have to carry this shit anymore, man. And then I say shit because it was shit and it is mm -hmm. shit. And everything, when people put stumbling blocks like that in front of people and tell them that that's what God's about, oh my gosh, I'm not here to judge, but be careful, be careful. And that's, these are denominations, you, you know, you're talking about major overseers of churches in our nations and around the world, right? And that's why I say, and I can, I'll, I can, draw it all back to if my dad had an understanding of what grace was if he truly understood that it wasn't about your performance that you can't even you can't even you can try all you want and exhaust yourself for a lifetime and be unsuccessful with it because that's the way he felt but to get that grace message so screwed up in people's believing oh man paul i think you know what i'm saying paul paul's clear about that he's like the teachers the teachers, they get the they they're supposed to know. So if they're teaching as if they know, they better not be teaching the old covenant mixed with the new because lukewarm water gets spit out. So I, yeah, sorry, man. <laughs>
Didn't mean no to apologies. preach there. Didn't mean to preach there. But that's that's the impact that it can have on people because it is. It was like a a large concrete wall, and I couldn't even see the top of it. It's just like you just see the. You could see it. It was kind of funny. It's kind of like, and when I picture it, and when I when I when I was picturing it, the illustration, picture just a rectangle, right? Widescreen panorama, right? And the very top very thin layer of light very thin layer of light everything else dark gray and the crack comes down the middle like a lightning bolt you know what i mean it's kind of like wow and then uh yeah so well that that light's peeking through so where did you first start to reconcile you know grace with works well i should say this man i knew it in my head but I certainly did not believe it or have an idea of how I was even supposed to come to understand that and accept it in my heart. And that's where the difference is. I had the head knowledge. I'm listening to people and, I, and, and I'm in agreement. I, I believe that I agree, but my heart wasn't there. It was still not connected to my head. So that was in around 2009 when I when I was watching that message from Joel. And then in 2012, my dad passed. And that's when I learned that two weeks before he passed, he hadn't, you know, he hadn't, he had, he had just then accepted Christ as his savior. So that was, a, that was an interesting moment too. Cause I'm thinking, how, what do you mean? How, you know, you want to get up in arms, you know, it's like, how, then I'm like thinking, and I'm going to swear again, I'm sorry, man, but what the fuck were you doing raising a family like that? That type of anger comes in, right? Because I'm thinking about all the shit that I had to think and believe that I didn't want to believe about myself. And as I'm an adult, now I'm thinking back every now and then going, wow, what would it have been like if it was different? And regret and anger wants to creep in. And that's where being a parent can really trip things up sometimes, man. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> so we have our first son in 2011 through a year before that we had our first son and a month before my dad passed away, our second son was born. And, uh, the following year, my wife and I are having a very hard time with just adjusting to everything we got. We, the, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't a very hard time. It was a hard summer. I should say that it was a hard summer, 2013 hard summer. The place where we're I'm, I'm stationed at headquarters in Washington D.C. and we're renting a place in Alexandria. It's a great place. I mean, it's it's a great location. It's a bit run down, but the price was good, and we're in a great location. And freaking thing gets mold, so we have to move out. And then the landlord jacks us up. The you know he jacks up the rent. And he's not gonna he's not gonna pay for it. We're having a very hard time. And that's like the that's just one that's like the surface thing that really kind of kicked me into what the hell is going on? Why is this stuff happening to me? Other things, you know, we're raising two kids. My dad just passed away. All kinds of stuff's going on. And uh, I'm trying, I'm doing this trip to, uh, I have to do a work trip. I had to do a lot of work trips when I was at DC and we're going to the port of Houston to do a, a uh, functional exercise. It was basically if there is a disaster in the port how do we as a entity of the port of houston mm -hmm. federal state local how do we respond and how do we communicate see after 9 11 twin towers it was very well understood that 
a lot of the disciplines, fire, police, EMS, and at the fa at different state, federal, local levels, they couldn't communicate, right? Now, there's laws that say the federals can't communicate with the states, and there's good reasons for that. Mm -hmm. So this exercise, and that's what was cool about doing what I did is like, it was, you know, you're, you're working with a lot of people from all kinds of areas of life, all kinds of life experiences before they even got there. And you're put in this artificial bubble of stress. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you put in this artificial bubble of stress and you're supposed to get along. And at the same time, people are, you know, some people are angling for positions, promotions. Some people are doing this. Some right. people, you got all those different dynamics. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just. So there's so, the big agenda and then there's everyone's little individual agenda. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? And we're the, we're the team lead. We're leading this thing. We're, we're the ones that everybody's looking to and that everybody's like, okay, what's next? We're putting, we're the ones pulling us off. And, and, uh, <clears throat> man, I was traveling with a Christian friend and, and I was like, hey, here's my situation. I need some help. And you're like, and I wasn't asking for physical help. I wanted like a word of help, right? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I need yeah. some help, man. I need like a word of help here. And uh, and he was the answer. This is when I was just like, oh man, did I make a mistake? Because <laughs> this is what his answer was. Miguel, you could be destitute on the side of the road. It doesn't matter because you've got Christ. And I was like, that doesn't fucking help me right now, man. That's the way I felt about it, right? That's the way I felt about it. And I'm using that language. I don't talk like this all the time, but that's to where I was. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's where I was. And we get to the hotel. So we, we land in Houston. We fly. We get to a hotel. And it's bedtime. You know, I'm trying to calm down. I'm pissed. You know, I'm just like, oh. You know, that kind of like really like from the heart angry, right? Mm -hmm. And... um I go to read the Bible and I'm I'm like, I don't want to read this. I want to throw this thinking freaking thing at the wall. And that's because when I read it, I'm reading condemnation. Mm -hmm. All the things that I don't measure up to. And it was just a it was as I'm saying it now, it's like a reminder of what I learned yeah. growing up and had just rejected. So then I was like, oh, but I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to throw the Bible against the wall. I'm going to set it down because I'm staying at a Marriott and these are Mormon hotels. <laughs> <laughs> I still stay at Marriott's. I just like the hotels. I don't, <laughs> I should probably throw away all the Book of Mormons when I leave though. <laughs> I know it's, it's cruel. I wouldn't do that. But um, I brought a book from, and I'll give, I, this is another pastor a lot of people think is corny. And I'm not saying I agree with everything he says. Or how he presents everything. But that's what I had with me. And this is what happened. It was called the book called Destined to Rain by Joseph Prince. And I opened the book up and I start on page one. And I want to throw that freaking thing across the, across the, I didn't want to read that because it was just, oh, uh, and I'm that angry. Like, I don't want, I want something to soothe me, but I don't know what will do it. Right. I, I want some relief, but I don't know what will do it. Right. And this is this is like I'm, this is a life thing. Right. This is not just my project isn't going well. My project went well. Our, our exercise went great. It was really well, actually. And uh, I get this thought. I call it a prompt. Because that's what it was. It was go through the table of contents and pick a chapter that you think you'd like to read. And. There's a chapter called Unearthing the Deepest Root. Mm. 
And I still use this illustration today. And he in it, he uses the he uses a plant. He, and it's uh just a black and white drawing. You know, you have the ground and you show the root system underneath and the, the plant above, you know, tree is uh stems and leaves and all that. And he's talking about how medical science can address stress, anxiety, and fear at the surface, the symptoms of what the leaf of the plant is going through on the outside. He's like, but underneath is condemnation. And that's where Christ took care of it. And I had my revelation of why and how much Jesus loves me. Isn't it amazing that something that would open that door for you would, might not for me and likewise, I think that's sometimes where we fail when we try to evangelize people. We try to tell them the way we wanted to hear God, the way the door, the things that opened our doors. But for well, every one of us, it's unique. I it's agree. And I, I completely agree, man. And that, and that's and that's where marijuana has definitely helped me back. I'll, I'll, I'll help you. I'll, I'll get back to that in a second. But so. Uh, when we're evangelizing, you said evangelizing. I really don't even think of it as evangelizing because I'm not doing it in official capacity. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, me either. And, and, and yeah, me, you know what I mean? It's like, and that's where I think when people hear the term evangelize, they say, okay, here's the list of things you have to do in order to do that. That's what defines evangelizing. And that's when I think we fall into systems and patterns of one size fits all just like you were describing, right? How it can happen to all kinds of, all kinds of different ways. And sometimes in silence. Yeah. And, and that's when it's just like, it's, it's a funny thing because I can understand that aspect of it too. It's kind of like having, I mean, I did a, I did a master's degree in Christian apologetics and uh, it's a funny thing putting that stuff to an educational place it, it's it's it was good but it is it is a funny thing to to a it's a different thing to study and research and train and you can write papers and then to have it to meet someone else's standard for accreditation of some sort i understand what the world is about that and that's what's weird about it right you got to have these things i understand that you don't want somebody who's fraudulent doing something that they say they can do but they can't I understand it completely. I'm just saying when it comes to what we believe in our heart about our relationship with our maker, it's hard to put a bunch of man-made requirements into it for you, for a human being to get a, a worldly accreditation. At the same time, those things are blessings. It's a funny world, man. It's a funny world. It's a blessing at the same time too. So, um, so yeah, it was an interesting time. It was an interesting time, man. So you you came back home with a with a little bit of a revelation there, and I'm assuming that that you know spawned a lot of conversation you know with your with your true love. I mean, I'm sure y'all had to reconcile you know Miguel's new open heart or whatever you want to call it. Like, so how did you, <laughs> how, how did I mean, you make sense of that with your family? It, it's um, it's like taking blinders off and you realize that the way you've been believing and thinking and operating has been severely restricted 
And when that vision comes back to you and you have a bigger picture, you still don't really know how to comprehend all that stuff. And that's what, that's what makes, that's what makes sometimes that that's what, and this is where I'll say, when you said the faith journey, that's when it's like, that's when the journey begins. I shouldn't say that's when the journey begins. The journey began. I don't know when it begins. You know what I mean? I think it begins before we even get here. So I don't, when the intentional journey began, like the very, yeah. I would say with that revelation, that's when I should say that's when my recognition of Jesus's love for me began on the outside. I think I had it as a, I think I I think everybody's born with it. I think everybody's born with it. And that's why we can't get away from the feeling that something better is supposed to be happening on this earth. Mm. That's why I think the feeling that everybody has that things should not be as bad as they are. That's why we have it because it's, it's inside every single person. And um, when it comes to go ahead, you're going to say something. I just, it kind of hit me that we all have a heart and like, almost like a knowledge of, of what could and should be, but we never see it with our eyes. You know, it's never here right. on earth, but I guess we're all just, we want to be back in that garden, right? I mean, that's where we all want to I be. Want, I want something better. No, I want I want better than that, man. Because the garden had the temptation. Right. The, gar the garden's like... But at least we were walking in <laughs> unity with God at that moment. And that's what we strive for. We want, we want to feel that kind of unity. And I, now I don't want to jump ahead too much. I just want to insert that's right. this. Yeah, go ahead. I think for a lot of people, when they experience a psychedelic have a psychedelic experience that's the first time they at least had a fleeting moment of that unifying connection with creation and the creator so many people i've met even if they don't share my you know my christian philosophy they you know they say well my experience with psychedelics taught me that there's a creator and that somehow we're united to that guy or that thing, or that it being, you know, that, that presence. I, I guess, how did you, you start wrestling with your faith in this new way? Um, which probably for you might've even felt like faith for the first time, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I should say faith in something good, mm -hmm. faith in something, faith in the most powerful love that exists started to grow. So, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, it's a funky time. And um, walking that out with the blinders thing is a bigger deal than it sounds. I mean, when, you, when you're trying to comprehend the picture around you, you're also trying to discern. You know, there, there's a comprehension and then there's a discernment at the same time, right? Because mm -hmm. the, there's opportunities everywhere and not all the ones are not every opportunity we're meant to take. And sometimes there's things that we're meant to take that don't look so obvious. And it's kind of like, huh. So uh, walking that out has been funky. You know, I'll tell you this, man. You haven't asked me yet, and I'm guessing you're just waiting for me to say something. <laughs> but <laughs> well, I mean, how did how did yeah how did things like cannabis and psychedelics come back in? Oh yeah, okay. So oh oh well, let me. Okay, so I'll, yeah, that's a good way to get entry. It's good entry. So uh, so yeah, when I retired from the military, well, around the time around the last few years, around 2016, my mom had a back surgery that just went really bad and she was in she st she still has a lot of pain she uh, she came out 
way worse than she came in. And she's in the state of North Carolina. And the pain pills, it was, it was just too far gone. And she was just too far gone. And, uh, you know, she's, she's getting depressed. She, you know, she's, it is my mother. She's my last living parent. And at that time, I'm actually working in Wilmington, North Carolina, which is only three hours from where she lives. But we still, this is how odd that was. We still didn't see each other that much as though we, even though we lived just three hours away. And that was kind of strange because she was depressed about this stuff. And uh, I had been trying, I was like, mom, you, this Farm Bill Act, this is 2018 now. She's, so that happened in 16 and 17. 18, she's depressed. And I'm telling her the Farm Bill Act passed and she can get that stuff from an online vendor now and she won't be going to jail she and she you know she didn't really want to believe it but she ended up when it ended up happening she ended up telling me this after the fact and i was like wow one of her friends from church with a, a terminal illness gave her two joints and my mom went into uh she smoked one of them yeah she smoked one of them she smoked one of them and uh she started, you know, she struggled since then, but because she's got a lot of pain. I mean, bone and back pain, it's it doesn't sound like it's a big deal, but when every step you take is affected and you sneeze, it hurts. You do this, it hurts. That sucks. So um, that's where I was like, wow. Um, and at that time, my career in the Coast Guard, I could see that it could, I was coming up on my 20 year mark. And I would stay in if, I mean, I would stay in if I, if I was promoted, they ended up not promoting me twice in a row. When they don't promote you twice in a row, they let you go. So I was already to the point where I could retire because I, I met the requirements and, uh, I'm thinking about, it, I'm like, well, Colorado's doing this. You just, you see more stuff on TV now, right? You just more stuff mm -hmm. on TV. What is it? We to kit. was one show that I was watching this uh dude doing these shows on vice media and and this is and it's kind of like huh a way is being made for this and i started thinking i was like okay if i get out of the military maybe i'll do that maybe i'll do something in cannabis right i don't know what it would be i didn't know what it would be i just just like wow this is interesting here i am now in this point in my life in this point and i'm still thinking about it in my life i'm not really thinking well, i'm still thinking bigger too but at the same time it's like when you think about what you're going to do when you're done with the thing you've dedicated your life's work to it makes you think about a lot of stuff mm. how are you going to spend your time what are you going to do is there enough money coming in that's a big one you know, it's like all these things come into mind. And I have able to experience this at the age of 45 instead of at 65 or 70 when many, many people experience it and their health is too far gone, down, too far gone. They're taking too many pills on a daily basis to feel like they can do something to get that back, mm -hmm. to get back the time that they had and the time that they did not pay attention to their own health and did the work anyway. And now they're on pills because of all that stuff. They've had surgeries and now they're in their, what there was called their senior years. And they got telemarketers harassing the crap out of them, trying to scam them out of money. Mm -hmm. 
And they've got all these people coming after seniors to get their money. I am, again, thankful that I was able to do this at the age of 45. It is weird. It is a little weird. It's grateful. But it's also like uh, a, a shedding of, of uh, what you believe and think and operate for the past 20 plus years. It's gone, but it's still inside. You're still, it's still there because you've been doing it for so long. And that was a, that was a funny thing. And as I was doing that, um, to get towards the end of my career, I, I uh, started working on my master's degree and finished that before I, before, uh, actually a year before, almost a year before I retired. Cause you know, they want to see continuing education, you know? So if you, if you, you do work on your own, on your own time, they're going to, they should reward that wasn't enough. And I was like, okay. And I had seen people not get promoted and kill themselves mm. with, with loading up themselves with work for the span of nine to 10 months, hoping that that nine to 10 months will supersede everything that the board said about the rest of their career. No to. And that's why I was like, I'll get my degree because it, it's good for the organization. It'll be good for me too. But I'm not going to load myself up with a bunch of extra stuff that I don't care about or that I think is going to, and is, I shouldn't say I don't care about. I should say this because if, it's a funny thing because if, when you're working in that, when you're working for something, you care about everything. Mm-hmm. But when you're to, when you're at that point in your career, you're like, I want to work on something that's going to get a better result, right? Right. That wasn't something that makes you want to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, you know, right. That wasn't that wasn't there. That was about right. Yeah, I was like, I'd already been, you know, I'd already. If they had turned me down the first time, it was like, okay, I understand. That's cool. A lot of people get turned down the first time. No problem. If you say no to me, I'm not going to be mad. And that was the thing about that's that's where a lot of that, and this was down to the human performance thing. Now we're getting to it and how it how that how that meets in our work life. And it's like it gets down to that human performance thing. I've done enough to get promoted. I they didn't promote me. Why not? I'm mad. And now that I'm mad, I got to do all this extra stuff. And then, and I saw that happen to people and I didn't want to do it because if I finish at 20, I'm still done at 20 and that's okay. Now there is a little bit of a sting that comes with it because people know that people know that about you. They're like, oh yeah, you didn't make it. And it's kind of like, that's, what's kind of weird about being in those kinds of environments. But at the same time, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm I'm not ready to go. And that wasn't, I was still doing good work all the way up to the end. It wasn't bad. But when I say I'm ready to go, I mean, I'm not ready to play this game anymore because it turns into a game. And it's one that. A game that's no fun. <laughs> you know, some people love it though, man. Yeah, that's just true, it. Some people true. thrive, think that they thrive until that game is gone. Now, the other thing I've seen people do when they retire is die. Get sick and die shortly after retiring. That sense of identity mm-hmm. and who they are is uh, too close 
to the heart and it's trying to fill a void that it cannot fill. So I'm looking at the time and you haven't asked me this question yet, but I know you, oh, you have, but not so directly. All right. Psychedelics, my experience with psychedelics, right, Clint? Mm -hmm. This is, the, yeah. Okay. So college, it's college and uh, in the nineties and there's a handful of times and the environment was never anything. I can't, I don't think the environment was anything like what you went through or like what you, what you had, right. When, when you were, I remember you telling me, you're like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, we're in Arkansas. Like we're out in the nature, right. That was the concept mm -hmm. that people would want to try to get to when people talked about it. But, but when you're with kids, your age and we were 19 in 1994 and, uh, it's not that kind of, it's, it's a, it's a, oh man, what's going to happen? And I didn't know what was going to happen, man. So I'm not going to try to give like a bunch of details, but I will say this. It was slow coming on. And when the slow, because it was slow coming on and there really was no like, Hey, how you doing? There is no like guidance. Mm -hmm. It was easy for that to turn into like, what the hell is going on? And then it turns into, then you kind of go, okay. Am I going to get back to normal or not? Yeah. <laughs> Which is a really weird, it's like this juxtaposition. You're holding two things. You're you're in awe of what's currently going on, but you're, you still got that tether back to your normal daily life. And you're thinking, you're either thinking this is really good or really bad at that moment, but you're also thinking, how can I navigate back to, or can I, or will I, because we're so, you know, we're so, um, got yoked right. to we're, 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 we're our identity, to what we think of our identity right. is. Yeah. So, that's yeah. <laughs> I'm, I agree with you right there because that is it. And at the age of 19, I did not know who I was. Most of us don't. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and it's a funny, it's a, it's like a, I got a tattoo when I was 15 on my leg. And then I got one when I was 17 on my back. And the one on my back is, is an American flag and a Mexican flag crossed with a <clears throat> ribbon that goes red, white, and blue to green, white, and red. Right. That was me trying to establish my own identity. Mm -hmm. It was like, what, you know, who, as you, like I said, you know, you, we hit these milestones in life. Okay. Then now what? And then now what, you know? So it was like, when I graduated high school, my friends, they're like, try this. And I was like, and I knew they were doing it. There wasn't, it was no, like, you know, they were my friends mm -hmm. and these guys, they were, they were nice guys too, but they didn't know beyond their own experience either. And they didn't know there was no religious spiritual aspect to it with that one group of, with that one group of friends, with another one there was, and it wasn't, but it was very, it was, uh, you know, that or one. New age years. No, uh, no, I would say the first one, you know, the first one we're just driving around, man, going to a park. Like it was not planned well at all. You know what I mean? It was <laughs> really a bad idea. And, and, you know, I was just stupid. It was really a bad idea, but that's the one that really, you know, sounds sounds you know you then you put on pink floyd albums kind of like why are you putting on pink floyd because that's what you did in the 90s because that's what they did in the 70s when pink floyd, mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's kind of like 
you're following the you're following the same paths of the people, the generations that came before you. They listen to that, so that's what you do when you do this too. And this is where it's kind of like that stuff really didn't do it for me. You know what I mean? It was kind of like it did and it didn't. It wasn't enough. You know, Pink Floyd could paint a picture, but he couldn't give an answer. Mm-hmm. He couldn't give an answer that that made me go that's it that's the end all be all because that's the one that made it it always points to something else and that's a problem with a lot of new age stuff i think is that it 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 understands but it then it can't get back to that starting point of christ for whatever reason and this is where it gets back to its love it doesn't always look the way the world looks so um the second time we're at a friend's house i should say his dad's house and he was out in the country his dad was a professor at a university, Michigan State, and we're at his dad's house. And that one was more togetherness. And uh, you could definitely sense more togetherness instead of fear. Instead of fear of just like a, a bad idea. <laughs> You're like, oh, damn. And were these like, like LSD oh, or mushrooms or what? Um, Mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Psilocybin, yeah. Right. That one, you know, even though it was togetherness, it was, we're having our own experiences. You know, some right. of us are going out, some of us are going outside, some of us are staying inside. Sometimes when we're by ourselves and sometimes we're with one or two other people. But, uh, you know, it's a funny thing. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to go over all the details because i don't want to i don't want anything to be sounding like hokey or anything like that right right well this is and, not the trip report podcast there's yeah. plenty of those out there this is more but, about how these things influenced your thinking and your spirituality and less so about you know the details of the experience so at that time man it confirmed that I knew that there was more out there. It confirmed that I knew what I knew, what I was thinking that there's way more depth to the surface of this world. But when you, when you come off of it and you come down, you're still at the world. Yeah. And sometimes like you said earlier about it, it's almost like it clears the slate, but it doesn't really give you a direction. Oftentimes. Right. And this is this is what's interesting about psychedelics now is that there are directions and not all those directions are good. Mm-hmm. And this is where, um, yeah, you know, a lot of people call themselves shamans, but it's kind of like I think of I think of Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness in the early American history and these people coming out with all these different religions. I think that's happening right now, too. I think that's happening right now too with it's going to start happening with psychedelics that there's a book the immortality key i think you've read that too right yeah so he talks about the renaissance of psychedelics and and i think that that'll start happening as well but uh you know it was um i had already known that there was something great and that there was a maker. I believed, and I say known it, I don't mean head knowledge, I mean like I knew that in my heart. The problem was the illustrations for how that being was being presented were ugly. Mm, yeah, I think, and, I, think a lot, I think a lot of that too, yeah. And when I say ugly, I don't mean like 
God told Saul to kill all of the Midianites. If it's, I can't remember if it was the Midianites or not. I don't mean that. I understand. I understand war. You know, it's like this world has to. It's supposed to be just, but it's not. It's fallen. So, um, <clears throat> when it came to uh, <clears throat> the overall experience and 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 what I got from it, it definitely confirmed for me that the deep sense of our being is real and it has purpose and meaning and it matters. It's not a free ride. And I don't say that to be scary, but I say that because it gave me a sense of, okay, I need to start paying more attention to my life because right now, as I'm looking around in my thoughts about my identity that's tethered to that you're that tether you're talking about, I don't see the things are that I really want. I don't feel that that's the direction I'm supposed to be staying in. I'm supposed to be changing my direction. And um, like I said, I had just a handful of times for me. And um, it was always something that, you know, I, I think perhaps I, mean, I think now I'd, I'd be open to it now. I really would be because I think I've met enough people like you and and Fabian Henry from uh, Canada. He's a former Canadian combat engineer who um, does a lot of help for veterans. I'd he be was on your in... show recently, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I, remember, line, I, remember. yeah. I remember. It was a great conversation. And uh, I'd be open to it now um, with the right environment and you know the right people and everything, but. I don't know what he would expect. You know, you had a uh, hunt right. priest, you had hunt priest, pastor hunt priest on your podcast. And I just recorded one with him last week. And it's a, I, I enjoy these conversations, Clint. Thank you very much for inviting me. I do really appreciate it, man. It's, I like these a lot and you are really good at it. And Hey, the last time we talked, I knew immediately I had to get you on here, you know? <laughs> and yeah, I don't, I don't want anyone to feel like they have to be pro or con you know, I really like the way you're delivering it. You're, you're almost like, here was my experience. I'm not sure if it's for everybody. I'm not sure if it's, you know, something I want to do again. I'm not sure if it's something I want my kids involved in. You know, I think it's okay for us to have those, those unknowns and those uncertainties, because I'm hoping that through these conversations, you know, maybe we can have a clearer vision for, how and when and where these things are appropriate you know yeah and um but you you have ah, a, a, you have a podcast that talks about cannabis so um, yeah you, you've obviously reconciled that being a oh i've i am a medicine I'm, that's quality yeah i oh so okay so yeah from that aspect i do think psilocybin i don't think there's anything wrong with psychedelics I don't think there's anything wrong with psychedelics. I, I would do it now, actually. I think that's what I'm saying. Is I, I'm open to doing it now with the right environment, right people. And I'm just thinking back because I was thinking back to those other environments. I was like, yeah, those were really just not the right environments, man. <laughs> what I'm thinking about, I'm like, you know, they're probably all bad ideas. You know, it should have been something more uh, spiritually inclined. Because mm -hmm. I know that there are some people who are like, I... I used LSD or I used psilocybin and they had, they had a, they had a, a literal illustration of, of, uh, of Christ right. or something or some type of angelic. And, uh, that I haven't had it like that, you know, that, 
that's like you said, we're all different, right? Like the revelation that I had after reading that chapter and waking up the next morning, um, that's for me. I'm not going to share it with anybody, but uh, uh, it's funny how it's, you said it yourself earlier, man. It's like sometimes it's the smallest of things can get somebody to pay attention and, and change and turn the direction of their feet and be healed. And uh, those moments, I believe those moments, there's no shortage of them. Right. It's like when the when the blinders come off and we understand how much we're loved and that we've been believing a lie that the maker hates us and we have to treat him like Santa Claus in order to be earn his favor. When those that concept of a lie comes off, the, those there's no shortage of revelations coming to our hearts yeah. every day and it doesn't require it doesn't necessarily require a substance to arrive at that you know at that at that uh, amazing insight right and, and but sometimes it does and this is this is this is what sometimes i think sometimes it can help like i i this is where you know some people this is where it can and it can't i'm agreeing with you there and this, I, I i say that because i don't want to say no, you don't need psilocybin. You don't need any psychedelics. I'm not going to say that at all because as I'm saying with marijuana, also, it's like, it's not a silver bullet, but it's made and comes out of the ground. And if a believer in Christ is actually believing that he is who he says he is and loves them the way he says he loves them, then having a pastor called marijuana or mushrooms, the devil's lettuce, should run counterintuitive to that. Because that's a man's lettuce, man. God right. Made it. <laughs> right. And it's like this stuff has so much beneficial, so much, so much benefit to the human body. And that's just the material. That's just a mortal frame. Right. And that we're, mm -hmm. we're, and it starts at the spiritual. Like, like you mm -hmm. said, I wish they would hear my voice turn so they could be healed. Yeah. What, cool, what, man. uh, what kind of benefits do you, do you find? with uh, personally with cannabis oh it personally impacted your life for the better uh you know what man when i the edibles is what really it was the smoke the smoke hits you fast you just like sit you back fast like boom oh got my attention i'm quiet <laughs> I'm but it quiet. doesn't creep up on you at least you know where you are yeah <laughs> i know <laughs> well, that's where the edibles was so when you know, hitting that edible with the oil and, you know, I'm, you know, I've been in, working with this stuff for three years next month and uh, tried all kinds of stuff. And uh, with the edibles, it's a similar thing. When I first used the edibles, it was like during the day and I'm just, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I don't call it couch lock because here's the thing. I knew that that's not what it is. It, it, and this is where I was like couch lock. Yeah, I get that. You know, I was deep in thought, and I'm not trying to sound corny, man, but after mm -hmm. having come out of a career for 20 years where I'm wearing a uniform and all that all that military stuff and all that stuff where you're working with outside pressures, inside pressures, you got family going on on the inside, and you don't have to do that, and you're actually stepping back from that, It that was decompression time. I've been decompressing. Yeah. How, do you, how do you decompress from all that 20 years of oh, intensity? You know what? That's what's kind of funny is I think that everybody needs it, and we don't take the time to get it, or we don't don't have or can't take the time to get it because that decompression is. It, it was rethinking the way you've been living, 
You know, it's like, I've been living like that for so long. I, I stopped drinking caffeine. I've lost weight. I've changed, like, not just the way I think, but, and it wasn't intentional. I didn't go on a diet. And I didn't say, today's the day I stopped caffeine. It wasn't like that at all. I wanted to keep drinking coffee. I want, but because I, I got, that was what I was used to, but my body was telling me and my wife and my kids, cut that crap <laughs> out, man. My body first, then my wife and kids. And I was like, okay, you see what I'm saying? So it was, it was, uh, you know, and when you eat it, it does different things to your intestines, right? It's good for your intestinal, your, it's good for your bowel. It's good for, and the other thing is you got all these doctors, gut health is huge, right? Yeah. Inflammation. So in right. In the military, you're getting shot up with, with vaccines annually, right? You're getting vaccines all the time. And I traveled internationally for three years. So I got vaccines for every country that I want to go to. And that's common. That happens for every military member. And then you wonder why people come out kind of jacked up. And uh, <clears throat> I'm not saying I'm jacked up. <laughs> Maybe I am a bit. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that you. I go back to this part where when people retired, it, it's not just a military thing. It's a person thing. It's a human thing. And it's a way... It's uh, it's something that everybody will go through when they stop doing something that they've been doing for a long time, mm -hmm. whether because they've been told or because they made the choice themselves or because of an emergency. Something's going to trigger something in our lives where we all have to change the way we're thinking about something. And if there's some baggage and stuff like that in our lives, because we all have it, we both agree that the only person who can fill that void is Christ and that there's I think so and that he is not at a shortage to use anything to get us there does that make sense makes sense to me makes right sense on, to man. me i'm looking at the time too because i don't know what do you want to do man i'm good i can go like another five ten minutes if you want yeah yeah to spend a few minutes tell us about uh what life is like now, and especially your podcast. Um, you've been you've been at that for well, about probably about as long as I have, about three or four years. And yeah, three years, three years next, three years in March. And um, so, did uh, you like your use of Canos? Did you feel like did that make you like you got benefit from it, and you felt like I've got to somehow share this and incorporate it in a way that makes sense of my faith, or like what spawned that desire to start telling the world stuff? <laughs> a prompt. A prompt, man. It was a prompt. I was, I was, uh, I had a, I had to have a surgery before I retired, and the surgery left me like I lost like when they took my hemoglobin, it was at fifty percent of what it should have been. So they estimated that I lost around fifty percent of my blood. I should have been, I should have died probably, really. Wow. And uh, and I was passing out from blood loss. You know, what I mean, it's like it was, the, it was the day after the surgery that it all happened. So it was like, um. And I'm recovering from that. And when 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 that recovery was like your bones, the bones are your my bones were literally making blood when they mm -hmm. drew blood. And you know, there's some, you know, it's funny. I, I gotta it's funny thing because finishing, like so I'm about to retire and I have the surgery and and I and I have to report that hey, I can't come to work right now. And the pandemic's on right now, too, right? This is 2021, mm -hmm. 2021. It's like I can't, you know, it's like. I'm not recovered. I'll get a note from my doctor. And then still people, there's some, there's, there's some things in people that say, don't believe them. Don't believe because 
we're all trying to guard against abuse, right? And that's the mm -hmm. funny thing about this world. The funny thing about this world. So even though we're trying to guard against abuse, it becomes abuse sometimes. And I'm not saying that was abuse. I'm just saying it's a funny thing because my bones, like this, so they took some blood. They're like, yeah, your red blood cells are really small. Your bones are making blood. <laughs> I say that because it was ver confirmed. And right. when, when, uh, when, when the bones are making blood, it was exhausting, man. I just wanted to sleep. I just wanted to sleep and, and sweat. I was just sweating and sleeping. It was really a weird thing to go through. I'd never been anything like it in my life. It was a near-death experience and, and, uh, I recovered. And during that time, I had the thought I had just finished my, uh, I had already finished my master's degree in Christian apologetics. The, the, title the conversation cannabis and christianity podcast was a prompt that i paid attention to because after at this time i'd already been through this stuff with my mom and her surgery and mm -hmm. and at the same time i have finished my degree i wrote one of the papers i wrote was about marijuana and i got a good grade on it. the professor actually he was he was digging it it was cool i was glad i was at liberty university too so i wasn't sure how that was gonna go <laughs> but uh but uh that's how it came about, man. And it was, I knew I wanted to do something. My wife and I, we had already made the decision. We were going to switch roles. She was going to start a business and I was going to take care of the kids full time. So that was already the path. And the other question is, it's like, I, I've, I've got a memoir mostly written. That's going to, that'll come to publication and some short stories too, that uh, I'll be looking to get more published in the future as well. And uh, the podcast was a big one though, man. It's, it's how can I, it's not how can I. It wasn't a question. I didn't ask myself a question. That's just it. It was just something that I knew I wanted to do. I want to talk about Christ. And I want to talk about cannabis. And it's an amazing time to be alive. And the idea was there. And it was my choice to say yes or no to it. And I said yes. I, I could have said not now, later not now later and i'm glad i didn't do that because i'd be full of regret right now you wouldn't be talking you know what yeah, i mean I would, I would be i would be in that same boat i would have regretted i i could not do it i had to right. somehow start talking about this because i i couldn't make sense of it all in my own head i needed people like you to bounce the conversation off of and there wasn't really anybody in my immediate experience that I could do that with. But I found people in the world out there, you know, in the in the LinkedIn and the Facebook universe where they were talking about these things. So I knew people like me were out there. People like you were out there. We just had to find each other. And I felt like this was a good avenue for doing that. And we could drag all our brothers and sisters along with us for the conversation. <laughs> you know, I, I agree completely, man. You know, so uh I got, I've been listening, I've been introducing my sons into to some, I listen to music a lot. And one of them plays drums and one of them picked the trombone, but he doesn't really like it anymore. I'm trying to get him to like it more. <clears throat> or understand that he has a loud voice and he could sing. They all could really. It's like, wow. It's amazing children, man. And mm. it's all cool. So uh, I've been introducing him to uh, the Rackin' Tours and Jack White and the Blight Stripes. And uh, 
we were watching this interview because I, I was from Michigan and he's from Detroit, Michigan too. We're, we're roughly around the same age. And uh, he's talking about, um, he's talking about when he was making music with the white stripes, he did all the writing. And he's like, how do you know when to say stop? How do you know you don't have any feedback, right? You don't have any feedback on, on when your piece of art or when your, your work is mm -hmm. done. And he said, and, and, th and this is what I'm saying. It's like, this is, that's exactly kind of like what we were just talking about. It's like, I can't just help, but I got it. I, it's in me and doing and not and walking it out. Cause I want to say doing it. Sometimes I get, you know, we get hairy, words getting real weird, but uh, walking it out is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And at the same time, when you're doing it alone, you're kind of like, looking left, right, up, down, kind of going, looking around and going, I hope I'm, uh, <laughs> I hope I'm not missing something. Really. I right. hope I'm not missing something. I hope I'm not missing something. And then, uh, and then as Jack White's talking in that interview, he's talking about his transition to the Rack and Tours. And, and this is what, see, I, I like, I like his interviews because I believe him. I think he's a really honest artist. Right. And I think that uh, he's walking out what he's meant to walk out. And uh, that kind of honesty, even if I don't like the answer all the time, from I'm not saying from him, but from anybody, right? That kind yeah. of honesty, that kind of honesty with their life and being able to share it with other people and saying, realize it or not, but you're made this way too, because that's how deep we are. And, and that comes uh, out in your podcast because you don't, you're not judgmental. You just, you ask people, you know, their, their thoughts on the topic and, and they give them back to you and it doesn't always resonate with you, but you just receive it and you let them share it and, you know. Yeah. And don't judge it. I yeah. try to, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, that's what we all want to do is judge. And that's what people, when they see the word Christianity, judgment, because a lot of us think of some type of character like Santa Claus, something like that. I know it may not be the exact picture, but it's something like, oh, you don't want to go to him because if you mess up, he's going to thump you hard. Go down here. At least you'll be okay. And you're comfortable with all this stuff down. You're doing it already. You're doing it already. Just stay down this low trajectory. And that's the thing about Christianity that too many people have a bad taste in their mouth because of people that have done mm -hmm. things and said things they shouldn't have done. I get it. Oh yeah, so so that was you know, so let me finish up that rack and tours uh, story there, man. So then he's talking about when he's doing the rack and tours, he's like, now I got three other people to bounce ideas off of, and he's and and in in another interview, he's like, how do you get out there and perform from your heart in front of all these people that you don't know? And that's an honest. That's what I'm talking the kind of honesty that when I say I believe him, he's like he recognizes like because I looking at my sons, I'm like. You guys, you can do this in front of other people too. Right. You don't have to keep this to yourself at home. You're meant to walk out and you have a bright, you have, you have a future. Don't be afraid to walk out of the house with your future. And I don't mean the house of the Lord. I mean like right. the home, the home familiar, you know what I mean? And so that was, was cool about that 
because when I heard you say that, and it reminded me of that interview that that uh, we just watched it a couple of days ago, and I was like, wow, that's cool, because that's what it seems like to me. When he said that, I was like, it does feel really good when you have somebody who's like, yeah, we're not going to agree on everything, but you know what? I believe you, and you believe me, and I believe you're being honest, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, that's when you kind of go, okay, yeah, you know what? I like that, but maybe try this. Okay. Then, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, that honesty and the ability to do that with other people and joke without without making those jokes become jabs in right. in a, in a, in a, a cuz a joke can always be a jab right but right. but without doing it without doing it with like a ah oh, <laughs> the way the world wants us to get revenge it was a cool interview and remind that reminded me of i reminded i remembered that rather when you were talking about how yes i couldn't help but you know, how can i not how can it's in me i got it's what i'm supposed to be doing well, you know I, mean? I, I think I've I think I've listened to almost every episode over the last year or so of yours, and it seems like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. So, thanks, man. <laughs> and more. There's more coming. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So, where can uh where can the listeners find it? Uh, I'm a www.ccandcpodcast.com. That's the website, and you're also on iTunes, Spotify a whole host of other platforms. Those seem to be the big ones that everybody, whether you're on I, uh, Apple or Android, iTunes, oh, yeah. Spotify. Nobody goes to the website. You know, we always know. just go to the apps, which is good because my app, my website's not that great. So I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather go somewhere else and pick it up. But uh, at some point in the future, I'd like to do more there with mine, you know, maybe some blogs and stuff. But right now it's just kind of a, a place to drop the audio files, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, well, man, I love what you're doing, and I think you, I can't thank you enough for hanging out with me for a couple hours here and hanging out with my listeners. And uh, I'm sure I'm sure they'll be coming your way because you know our fellow Christians are interested in this, and they and they don't want to hear all the old tropes. You know, they're they're intentional people. They're people who have deep faith, and they want to learn about these things in a more casual and open format kind of way you know we uh we all have enough dogma in our lives you know and and i think uh being able to express our ideas about these things and and share them and and bat them around between each other in, in a casual way like this in a podcast format i think i think that's what people are hungry for you know i think you're doing a cool thing too man i mean you're doing it with psychedelics mm -hmm. that's a it's just that's that's uh we're sort of, what we were talking about when you were when you were on a guest on my podcast that you don't want to be marginalized. It's like you got right. you're you're trying to bring the good news in a way that somebody else isn't used to hearing it. And yeah, you run the risk of being marginalized. And I don't think you're being marginalized. But I, I don't I don't believe either of us. I think no. put it like this. Put it like this. I'll put it like this, Keelan. If we're called, we're called. Everybody has a calling in life. And if you're called in, if you have a call in life, opposition is gonna come. Yeah, opposition is going to be guaranteed to come, but mm -hmm. you don't have to don't have to worry about it. It's cool, man. I just say that because we're doing this. I mean, cannabis, psychedelics, twenty first century, right out of a pandemic. Hey, it's kind of, it's kind of people, interesting. It's kind I don't of think interesting people can listen made. to a few of our episodes without realizing we're coming from the heart, you know, and we're not trying to sell anything. We're not trying to uh, cash in, you know. We're just 
uh, I think people know where we're coming from. And I, I think it'd be hard for people to judge us um, when they witness the quality of our lives and the intentions of our heart. Um, I believe in the right place. And I don't think discussing these things, regardless of how we feel about them at the end of the day, I don't think that discussing these things should be taboo. You know? And you know what? Even if somebody were to look at our lives and say, you know what? That's not good. That's not good. That's that's going to happen with every single human being because neither one of us is perfect. I'm right. not perfect. You're not perfect. But the point is the point that I try to make with the podcast is that if I'm not pointing if I'm not pointing to Christ, then I'm pointing to something less than. And creation is a part of Christ. We are creation, and so is marijuana. So is that, so are mushrooms, psilocybin. And so are the chemicals that make those things. It's a fascinating time to be alive, man. I don't want to take up too much time. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. I'm looking at time, yeah. and I'm like, I'm trying to gauge you. I'm like, I'm not sure if he wants to wrap yeah. up. Or, or well, we probably going. need to just, you know, just for the sake of the rest of the world so they don't listen to us drone on forever. But, <laughs> but cool. man, Miguel Torres, thank you so much for being here today. And, and uh, all you listeners out there, go check him out, man. He's got a great show. You will enjoy it. Um, it's similar concept to mine you know we're not trying to uh solve any problems we're just trying to uh just share our thoughts with the world and and receive everybody else's thoughts and chew on those so so keep doing what you're doing my friend and uh we'll reconvene you know keep working on that uh that memoir we'll have to hear about that whenever you finish it up definitely definitely all right brother take care have a have a wonderful rest of your day and uh send your love to uh, my love to your family and um, and uh, God bless. And uh, we'll we'll see you again soon. Thanks, Clint. Receive, brother. Thank you. <laughs> Take care, my friend. Goodbye. Well, friends, I'm sure you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Miguel is a thoughtful and respectable man with a great sense of humor. He speaks honestly and humbly about his journey and is genuinely interested in the lives and experiences of others. Be sure to visit him at the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. I'll drop a link in the show notes to the conversation that we had on his show. But don't stop there. Have a listen to many of his other great episodes. You will no doubt enjoy it, especially if you are interested in or curious about cannabis. As always, I have another podcast recommendation for you. These are podcasts that I have enjoyed, and if you enjoy my work, I believe that you might enjoy these podcasts as well. Today's recommendation is Psychedelics Today. This podcast hosts a wide variety of guests from the modern psychedelic community. They explore and discuss the most current research involving psychedelics, and they are not afraid to discuss the difficult and controversial topics that are facing psychedelic culture, legislation, and research. If you like staying up to date with what's going on in the world of psychedelics, you will appreciate the Psychedelics Today podcast. It's probably one of the oldest and largest podcasts openly exploring the topic of psychedelics. One last reminder. I've mentioned this before, but if you are new to this community, you may have missed it. If you are interested in the overlap of Christianity and psychedelics, I implore you to visit lagare.org and sign up for the newsletter. You will receive current news regarding Christianity and psychedelics, 
and you will receive invitations to join Zoom group meetings with like-minded Christians discussing these topics. I myself am frequently in attendance in these group meetings. You can listen to my conversation with the director of Ligare, Reverend Hunt Priest, Episcopal Priest, and participant in the Johns Hopkins Religious Leaders Psilocybin Study in Episode 5 of this podcast. Again, that website to sign up and join these conversations is Ligare, L-I-G-A-R-E dot org. Check it out, folks. With that, my friends, I wish you grace and peace. And until we meet again, here at the intersection of Christian faith and psychedelics, may the Lord bless you and keep you.